covenant people. That's what you are. You're covenant people. Um, I've been talking about the Word of God and Nehemiah. <coughs> Nehemiah is dealing with the Word of God that's truth, and truth gets very specific. Sometimes it can get too specific, and uh, where it actually uh, starts changing lives, right? <laughs> And then sometimes people can say, hey, that's going a little too far. Every Christian is for spiritual renewal. Um, but sometimes that's kind of in the abstract. And whenever it really hits for where our lives need to, to change, it it's quite a concept, but it's, it can be a difficult thing because sometimes we're not ready to uh, be changed that much. So what happens is that the Word of God comes into one's life and immediately they're hit with with such a change in the way that they think and they find out that how they relate to people whether it be their wives or their husbands or their children or their parents mother and father how you spend your time whoa wait a minute (laughs) how you spend your money where you spend your money what you do with it uh, how you do business do your business and you know, and that's where people can say, "Wait, just a minute." You know, you've stopped preaching and you are meddling. <laughs> and we know that what Nehemiah did, as he re- released the word of God, and it's like a lion being unleashed. It uh, took over on people, and we saw the beginning of a revival there as God's people gathered. They listened to His word. And they realized as it was being explained to them that this was not just something for an intellectual exercise, but it actually uh, is to come into our lives and change us. So then, uh, right after that, we see the people confessing and repenting of their sins. And uh, that's what we saw in chapter 9 as they related to what had happened through the history of Israel and all the different things that... uh, they had done in their disobedience, yet God was still faithful. God is faithful to His covenant, and so He will always remain that way. In chapter 10, then, you have a corporate covenant here. Really, and it, even though there are so many signers, it's going to include everybody that um, has taken a part of this and say they want to uh, follow God's truth. Uh, it means to put it into specific practice in the specific areas of their lives. And I'll tell you what, when you get into chapter 10, it's real specific. It's very specific. And it's it's going to start off with the naming leaders. And, of course, I think that's like uh, 26 verses uh, of names. Yeah, Barb. Yeah. Yeah, do you want... You know I'm just kidding. I couldn't resist that. She wondered if you were doing auctioneering or that sounded like that sounded like auctioneering. Some of those terrible mics and PAs those guys had. Like you're at a fair. Oh, yeah, you can't ever hear it. So, I'm way back here, and you can. This is a directional mic, and if you're over here, it's not going to pick up anything. But you're right here; it sure does. Well, I don't know why you're mic, so I'm. We need to get you up today with a headset. Thank you, Zar. A headset. There we go. All right. Yeah. One of those little wires, and you think, wow, I wonder what they got. It looks like they got a problem. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry about that. Anyway, uh, we, we have the, the list of the, the leaders signing this, this covenant here, and then you get a general obligation uh, of the covenant in verses 28 through 29. Uh, you get an agreement that. They're not to give their children in marriage to the pagans, to the outsiders around them. Uh, verse 31, uh, it's about keeping the Sabbath and provide for the uh, maintenance of the temple from 32 through 39. And that's, that's the chapter. And when you first look at it, you go, huh, wonder what's here. But it's dealing with personal application. 
of God's truth. And that's what happens when you have spiritual renewal. The people make a commitment uh, to God and in the midst of their spiritual fervor, they have joy in the Lord. Remember that in Nehemiah 8? That's that famous verse we're familiar with. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And then uh, we see them mourning over their sin. <laughs> Emotion is fine, and, and that's all part of it. We, we are to be emotional to a, to a sense. But we can't live on an emotional high because sooner or later we have to come down from that spiritual mountain that we've been on, that mountaintop, and face the daily grind. I think of uh, Jesus on the uh, uh, that mount with uh, Peter, James, and John. Mount of Transfiguration. <laughs> and there they were. And they could just stay there forever. You know, this is great. And But then they had to go down the mountain and get into the regular life. So they're laying out a specific plan here. Here's God's Word. Here's His truth. Now we're putting it into daily practice. And so the text is revealing these these principles. That's what we'll uh, be looking at tonight as we will be turning into chapter 10. Let's uh, pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Your truth is it's truly amazing. We're thankful for it. And then we also know that it comes in and changes our lives, changes in areas that we desire to. And we desire it. Then there are other areas we can't even imagine where He starts rooting into the Word does. And uh, we, we thank You for that as the Holy Spirit desires us to practice the very Word of God. It's much more than reading and hearing, but to live it. And so as we see the people make a commitment here, may it be something that would be lasting to us because we know it can be very fainting sometimes and we can have our spiritual highs but and then the spiritual lows can come, but we are to maintain that daily walk and through the power of God's Spirit we can do that. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. So, verse 1, and I'm just going to start off with now on the sealed document we're in the names of Nehemiah the governor. And I'm going to stop there and you can look there and you can look at all the names. <laughs> there are a lot of names, a lot of names that you can pronounce and a lot of names that you have no idea what to say. I can sit here and fake them. One of these days we will meet these people probably. And we'll see how important they were. <laughs> That's right. I could be convicted about that. You get the idea, right? You have Nehemiah and Zedekiah. That, you know, that could be like... Uh, Maybe maybe somebody that helps him out. Maybe an assistant of his. Next to sign were like 21 priests, heads of a priestly household. That's from verses 2 through 8. Ezra's name doesn't show up here. And uh, there's different views on why that may not may be, but because um, there was a head of his household and his name was Sariah, found in verse 2. And uh, that more than likely is what it could very well be. Then you have the the names of the seventeen heads of the Levitical households from nine through thirteen, and then you have forty four heads of leading families. That's from fourteen to twenty seven. That's kind of how it's broken out. Some of these names are identical to those that we've seen in Nehemiah seven. Some of them are very identical to Ezra in, in Ezra chapter two. Others represent maybe possibly new families that had moved in. Uh, they branched off of those from Zerubbabel's time, so it changed from the time that uh, Ezra had first come. Maybe you have some new arrivals that have come from Babylon. Uh, we don't know most of these people. Like I say, we probably will have an eternity get to know people. <laughs> and they're God's people. They're special people. But the point is, is that they are set examples for others. Now, they're the ones who are kind of like taken as leaders of the people. They set the example, and then the, the people follow them. Of course, then they set examples to others too. So they sign their names. They put their names on the dotted line, in, in a sense, and they commit themselves totally 
fully and they expect the people around them to do the same thing as they represent them. Yeah, that's right. Because that's the way that the rest of the country was also to believe and has believed for, well, went for about 200 years or so. Still people believe in that. <laughs> it's a good thing. Anyway, the, the leaders want to set the example by uh, applying the truth of God to, to preach a message, the people hear it, and then to live it differently from the way the Word is there, it all brings out the fact that that is hypocrisy. <laughs> and that's not something that the people want to follow. Uh, the, there's exhortations dealing with godliness all the way through here. So that's the first, first part that we deal with. That's, a, that's applying the Word and, and, and takes in a biblical leadership. The, the leadership that people have among other people makes an effect on on others. They, they make an example. So it starts with them. And then those people take in and, and then follow and then they lead others. And then the, those people lead other people. That's that's the way it's worked all throughout church history. So that's where it starts right there. And So you've seen in Nehemiah 8, the Word of God. The Word of God is read. It's explained. People are convicted. They see their sin. They repent, confess. They have joy over this as God put that joy in them. And now they are covenanting together to say we desire to live God's ways. We want to take the word and live that way. So we get to verse 28 and 29. We covered uh, 27 verses pretty quick, right? <laughs> That's Yeah, catch hold. It's a jet coming through here. Anyway, Bana is the last name there. And then we move into verse 28. Now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all those who had separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, and all those who had knowledge and understanding, are joining with their kinsmen, their nobles, and are taking on themselves a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given through Moses, God's servant, and to keep and observe all the commandments of God our Lord and His ordinances and His statutes. Two verses. Those two verses are packed. Did you see that? Just loaded. starts with a kind of a separation. People are to be separate from the world talks about the rest of the people. You have the leaders. Then it mentions the, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and everybody else. And they separated. Separated themselves from the peoples of the land. Anybody that wasn't from their nation. And I think, you know, you see the biblical doctrine uh, and the principle of separa- separation uh, I would say it definitely needs to be emphasized in in our day. It goes along with worldliness, doesn't it? And that's not necessarily talking about nationalities the way it was with with the Jewish people. He had those people set apart. But, of course, that's not the sense that we're talking about in our day, but it's talking about separating ourselves from what? The world. The worldly things. The system. The worldly system that goes against God's things. Um... There are probably a few situations where God's people have separated from the world, that they've become isolated, and uh, you know you can go to an extreme on anything, and you can be a, a separatist in the sense that uh, you don't affect the world anymore because you're so isolated, and that's where it turns into legalism. All sorts of things come out of that in that kind of separation. Of course, you have to think of the Amish, people that we're kind of familiar with around here. Uh, people are um, sometimes taken by how holy they are but to be honest with you if you were to talk to some and then find out some of the lives that they live you would be shocked they're not that separated that that you would think uh, it, it certainly is and uh, we had some of them coming to our church and they were revealing some of the things that they did and some of the, uh, you know 
it, it was an outward thing. It was it would be no different than uh, Catholicism. It's a works by faith uh, or a, uh, a works faith system, and uh, the Word of God is not really there. Um, they don't really relish the authority of the Word ultimately when it comes down to it. But they sure look like they're setting themselves to be. Uh, holy because of their separation. But it's funny, as as the years go by, they take up some of the things that they didn't before. As years go by, then it's all of a sudden it's okay now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, one time it was cars, and then the cars had to be black, and you know you go on and on, and, and it's like that's just same thing like the world. But, you know, I'm not trying to pick on them. It, it can be anybody who goes to an extreme on that. The only thing is, I think what's worse today is most people really aren't in that section. They're on the other side where they are not uh, separate from the world whatsoever. They blend in with the world so easily you can't tell whether they're Christian or not because they say one thing and yet uh, the the hypocrisy is is in uh, that kind of lifestyle. (laughs) <laughs> That's what we deal with all the time, isn't it? <laughs> we ha- we have extremes, though. You know, we can go one where the what are we after? We're after balance, and of course, Christ is the most balanced, and it's so easy to go. Uh, I think in our time, uh, the way that the culture goes, it's easy to go with the culture, isn't it? Yeah, my folks and my grandparents wouldn't recognize the church you see today. I mean, even a church, what we call a church, it is so liberal. And so changed, and so has a, so adopted the world system and the ways, looks and acts. My grandparents wouldn't recognize it in the church. Yeah. So don't condemn them unless the finger pointed us. Yeah. We're guilty. Well. We're guilty. And and of course, what are we supposed to do? We we don't go one extreme over here. We don't want to go over here. But what are we to do? Maintain the very truth of but, of the Word of God. But yeah. the church has said this, we changed the truth from here where it was to what we recognize over here now is the truth. And my grandparents would have recognized this as the truth. It's We've changed our values. We've changed our system, and we now accept what we wouldn't have accepted years ago. Is it is it because... The church is only about ten years behind the world. Is ten or fifteen years behind the world in all of its? Everything that's been picked up through there seems to filter right on through the church. Seems to be on the fast track a little bit. Yeah, took the expressway. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it, that is that is true. You know, without the Holy Spirit enlightening us, you mess up. So we you will think you are, but without God's Spirit leading us and directing us, and we walk, we walk by by what we lead. That's the only safe course. It's it's the it's the straight and narrow of the truth. It's it's a hard walk. It certainly is. Yeah. Um, it seems like the devil has a pretty pretty good strategy as a far where. You know, what happens to a church that's devoted to the Word of God, and then people start coming in, but not to hear the Word of God, but to change the way the church runs. You know what I mean? If you, if you start opening your doors and people just start filling in, and their intentions are to be a part of God's community, not to be a party to the secret thinkers, but to change the way the message is preached, because if you have, let's say you have a church like us, and then... 20 more people show up and then all of a sudden they start saying oh no no you know maybe you shouldn't preach like this maybe you should you know maybe you should try to cut back and you got all these people saying it you know a lot of those people were like oh man I got these numbers now they were growing and it just kind of compromised you probably dealt with that right and people that have told you you know I know this church was at one time uh, a lot more a lot more rapid uh, in growth and in numbers and everything, and, and it all vanished because you maintain the word of God being at the center 
of the, the heart of the church. And uh, if I remember right, I think you told me stories where people have tried to tell you or tried to take others away from what, what's going on, mm-hmm. you know, behind the scenes kind of manipulation going on. Challenge So uh, you, you nailed it. There, there are people that do that. I've met people that know what it is. Really? Yeah. <coughs> they go, that's <laughs> Protestant. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. You know a little. <laughs> I've never actually heard the term reformed theology. I, I, I hadn't either. I don't know like the definition or what it would represent. Because I know the reformed Baptist. And this book you should use. This is a reformed Baptist church. Huh? This is a reformed Baptist church. Or is it... We don't really have a, a name for us. We're okay. reformed in our theology. Um, okay. uh, I don't know. I should say something about it. Well, I've had to tell people like... Okay, somebody asked me, so what? what is your church? What 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 denomination are you part of? What thought? You know, Chris, what Christian thought? I said, I'm, I'm a Christian. And I said, we're, we're a non-denominational church. And he's like, yeah, but what is it? And I said, well, if I had to pick one, it would be Reformed Baptist. Right. Because I see that as being biblical Christianity. But uh, that's what I tell people. You know, Something along the lines of Spurgeon. There we go. I would say biblical Christianity. If you want to say anything, yeah. just be like biblical. Like, like the Reformation, like that. Yeah, that, okay. that's the line we're right. we're, we're okay. in, I got it. inheriting. I'll take some time with you, and we'll yeah. we'll go through some basic tenets of it. Okay, do, we'll do that. that. Yeah, yeah, certainly. passage that dealt with uh, as far as the uh, in Timothy chapter 2 uh, dealing with the women are not to usurp the authority of men and we just had the passage read I didn't get to even teach on that yet and it started a real flurry and as a result things kind of went downhill in a hurry after that because they said that's not in our Sunday school book so we're not supposed to teach on that <laughs> and uh, of course some of the people that were there were definitely into usurping the authority of, of uh, God set forth anyway this this idea here is and, and you get into reformation we're talking about semper reformandi means always reforming, always reforming. Yeah. it's not done yet that, that that's where it gets to the personal lives you know we we can uh, definitely uh, thank the Lord that we have a, a, a theology that He's given us, but unless it's reforming our lives, it means absolutely nothing, does it? it we have to change too, and it'll continue to do that. So, yeah, transforming our lives is probably the, the, the better biblical way to, to put that. And so that, and that's really where the the text is getting at. Um, they're to be separated to the very law of God and uh, not in a legalistic sense or in a sense or not a um, so much freedom that uh, not bound by God's truth um, the world's values the world's goals all of those kind of things the personal success the personal happiness if that is the extent of what life is about we are on the wrong road and uh, so it goes with the, the people here at this time. If obedience 
to God comes in the way of our success and happiness, you know, I mean, obedience to God should always get in the way of all those things we can pursue and chase after. Uh, but it's so easy. People can set him aside. We have our own agendas to go for, and now all of a sudden he's on the back burner. Well, that's natural tendency of mankind to do that. That's what is happening in the book of Nehemiah. You see these people have really hit the mountaintop experience and now they're coming down to the daily grind of it. They're going to do good for a while and when we get to the end of the book, which we're closing in on now. Have you noticed that? We don't have a lot left in Nehemiah. But as as we see that, we see how quickly they reverted back to what they were before. And that's why we have to stay on this straight and narrow of, of the very truth because it's so easy to, to fall in that. And that's we, we have our battles and our struggles. What does John 17 say about the world and, 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 the, and the church? Remember John 17, you have Jesus saying the great high priestly prayer. And in John 17:14, He says, I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word as truth. As you... That's not all He gave he said, I have given them thy word. And my contention is that by itself won't do it. It leads you to legalism. Now, would you say that to Jesus? Or better explain yourself. <laughs> I would say it because then later he gave them the Spirit. And it's the Spirit and the Word. That's what's wrong with these people in Nehemiah. They had the Word they were going to obey. They committed to do it. They didn't have the Spirit to do it. And the Word's not enough. You teach the Word, the Word, the Word, and that's good, but that's half the message. Well, the Spirit and the... The Spirit then to obey the Word. Right. The Spirit testifies the Word to to Christians. The Word by itself will lead you to legalism without the Spirit. But the Spirit and the Word are inseparable. Yeah, you can't separate them. The uh, well in verse seventeen, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So if we really have the truth, and that's where you can, yeah you can't divide the spirit from the word. Now unfortunately, people can have all the words they want, but if they if the Holy Spirit is not working in them, it's going to be nothing there. Yeah, there again would be the the Spirit of God doing that. So, yeah, you can't separate. There's a girl I work with who can quote chapter and verse just about anything you ask her to in the Bible, and she doesn't believe a word of it. She'll tell you that. That's not uncommon. I've met people who've read the Bible three times and have given sermons and still believe homosexuality is okay. They don't believe half of what they've read. I'm like, I haven't finished it once, but I know that. <laughs> well, what do we have here? We have, um, I think we have a proper balance that we're called to be in this world. Everybody knows it. What's the next part of it? But to be not of the world, as we read here. You know, we're called out of the world, but uh, we're to be kept from the evil one. We're not of the world, but here we we live in this world in that time. Um, kind of um, to be indistinct, uh, to know God, you know Him by His Word, and then He says to obey. Uh, so in Nehemiah 10 and uh, verse 28, we see that they separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God. So they separate from the people. They had been kind of connected with them. That was, matter of fact, uh, many of them were marrying into that. And the law said, 
don't do that. Uh, they were not distinct from the world at that time. Their relationships, their goals, their values. And um, so we see that changing uh, immediately here. They, they, what did they do? They, they separated themselves. They knew right away. The laws, like in Deuteronomy, that had to be been read to them. Everybody knew that you have the blessing and, and the cursing in Deuteronomy, right? And so you, know, you think of um, this 28 and 29. Uh, they're taking on themselves a curse and an oath to obey all, all the commandments. If they don't do this, here's the curse of it all. The curse refers to Deuteronomy. Let, let's go there just for a moment. Deuteronomy 27:15. Cursed is the man who makes an idol or a molten image, an abomination to the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsman, and sets it up in secret, and all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Cursed is he who dishonors his father or mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who moves his neighbor's boundary mark, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who misleads a blind person on the road, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who distorts the justice due an alien, orphan, and widow, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who lies with his father's wife, because he has uncovered his father's skirt, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who lies with any animal, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who lies with his sister and daughter of his father or of his mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who lies with his mother-in-law, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who strikes his neighbor in secret, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who accepts a bribe to strike down an innocent person, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them, and all the people shall say, Amen. So there's some of the cursings. You get the blessings there at Gerizim. You had two mountains. One was a mountain where there was the cursing, and the other one is like there's the the, the blessing there. And uh, the Jewish people knew this uh, pretty well. They knew about uh, the story on that. And so Moses there in the giving of the law coming from God, he called down numerous curses on Israel if they forsook the covenant. So when... When the passage of Scripture talks about them committing all kinds of acts of immorality and sinning, these are the things that I think more specifically referring to, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, it, 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 and you know, it says that no liar shall inherit the kingdom of heaven, no homosexual, no thief, and so this seems to go really in detail on like very specific ones that you wouldn't think you would do, and you know you might. You know, some of these you're like, okay, yeah, I thought that, or, you know. But the way it goes into detail here is pretty scary. Well, and then uh, from verse 15 on, it gets even more specific about what will happen when they do disobey. Really? Mm-hmm. Very specific. Yeah. Um, I mean, he doesn't. It's it, you know, this is God's mercy, right. letting you know, letting them. I mean, he doesn't hold anything back. You know, right. he, he says this is what's going to happen if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God and be careful to do all the commandments, and statutes. You're in twenty-eight fifteen, now, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, but but it shall come about if you do not obey, mm-hmm. right? And it shows those those curses. And what is it in eighteen? He talks about the produce of the ground. Mm-hmm. They won't be blessed I mean, in that. It's going to get them in every corner. Right. Absolutely. He mentions the herd, the flock, uh, ox, donkey, sheep, all the blessings, uh, the produce, and their food, their their wine, their oil, um, the flocks. I mean, just yeah, every part of their lives. And the enemies will defeat them, and all these other. Yeah, I was reading Jeremiah, and I'm in that part where God has been pestering because he's taking the oil, and animals have been dying off, and, and hearing this, like this part right here, just kind of makes it all seem like, oh, that's why you just 
these things have taken place I mean just look at uh, like verse 27 28 29 30 I mean those are just very graphic and very heavy Madness, blindness, confusion of mind, growth at noonday, blind growth in the darkness. You will not prosper. You'll only be oppressed and robbed continually, and there'll be no one to help you. And you'll betroth a wife, but another man will ravish her. You'll build a house, but you shall not dwell in it. You'll plant a vineyard, and you won't enjoy its fruit. So on and so on. And that's, I would think, there's, you know. God's uh, very forthcoming with everything. He's, you know, he's not just saying, "Well, bad things are going to happen." And right. He really lays it out for him, so it's not like he's playing with them. Right. And of course, if they obeyed him, then they would yeah. possess. They would, they would be blessed. You know, it's very sweet on that that's like it. Now, if um, we we look at the New Testament, we say, "Okay, well, what do we do with this? Are Christians under?" God's curse if we disobey. I guess there can really be kind of two answers, but in one sense, we know scripturally that um, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. You turn to Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And so... He is the one who was cursed because He took on our sin and, and of course, He made that payment there. But at the same time, while you're in Galatians, you can just turn over to chapter 6, 7, and 8. We know that, no, we don't have the same sense of those cursings that put out, although a nation can have have those cursings upon them and you can be a part of it, I guess, that in that sense. But our God, our, our God's people are, are Christians uh, under a curse in that uh, they will be cursed and cursed to hell even. No, that, that can't be. But Galatians 6, 7, and 8 I think helps us out here to balance it out though too. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And I think there again, I might be separating believer and unbeliever, but there's the principle of you reap what you sow. And Christians can reap little or reap terrible things uh, or reap really good things. And and God will severely discipline His children, won't He? Um, and of course, there. I, I think you know Christians can disobey God, but uh, we are to fear God. We are to fear. Uh, sinning, and you think of First Corinthians chapter eleven, twenty-seven. There's a, there's a, there's a sense, you know, that we are to be joyful in Christ, and we know that we are graced for eternity and blessed because of Him. But also, we there has to be that that sense of fear if we go against what His truth is, that there will be a, a reaping that we wouldn't really like. He, uh, in 1 Corinthians 11:27, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. And this is talking about hypocrisy here, one who identifies with um, one who is supposed to be walking with the Lord. He says here, But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. To say he's saying here, hey, you can't you can't partake of the Lord's Supper now. He says, no, examine yourself first, and and then confess and get your sins taken care of, and then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. Who knows how many might that might be happening today? You know, we we may not necessarily know that. We we don't make that judgment. But he said there are many weak and sick, and a number sleep and dead. If we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged and we are disciplined by the Lord, so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So anyway, right there in the in the Lord's supper that uh, Paul brings forth in that truth. 
He's talking about making sure that uh, we cleanse ourselves from defilement. Of course, how do we cleanse ourselves? First John says to confess our sins. Where's the reference to um, the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law? Um, the a you'd be in, in Galatians there. Um, oh, that's in Galatians? I was thinking about you know, what we had been talking about earlier when Eldon brought up the Spirit and you know its connection with the Word or the Law. Uh, and I think that kind of applies maybe um, wherever that is. Scripture is, it has something to do with the letter of the law and then the spirit of the law. How there, you know, there's a distinction there of one can be dry and dead and the other, you know, living, active, and, you know. God, God led, or the other one probably is man led. Yeah, um, I don't have my yeah, phone, so I can't uh, look it up. Uh, there we go. Sorry about that. I didn't mean to stump, stump well, the pastor. Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it talks about the veil <coughs> um, that was over Moses. Uh, whenever Moses read today a veil lies over their heart but whoever a person turns to the Lord the veil is taken away now the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is there is liberty but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory is from the Lord the Spirit I don't know if that's the one you're thinking of no there. I was thinking one that, that actually I think within the same verse it talks about the Spirit of the law and the the uh, Letter of the law. I was thinking yeah. Hebrews for some reason, but I, I don't know. You might have to get your phone out. Yeah. And <laughs> help us, help us out. Bail me out here, Bob. During Galatians, um, chapter two, uh, verse eleven That's real good. I, Second Corinthians, chapter three, yeah, yeah. verse six, right? Yes, six. That. Right. And goes on to kind of elaborate. Here's Romans seven, uh, seven. I think. 
or no, Romans 7, 6. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Okay. That, that's a good one, too. That, that kind of confirms this this yeah. one here in Second Corinthians. Thank you, Janice. That is, yeah, that's, that's the one in Second Corinthians. Now, the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of his, of his glory which was being brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? Um, but pre, right previous to that, yeah, it says there, uh, God has made us competent to be ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. I think that's what I was trying to have. Yeah, yeah, you know the Bible's teaching. I mean, it's confirming of these things. We gave them the Old Testament. We gave them. You think of the law there, and of course, what's behind it is it's all truth there, and and it is the Spirit of God behind it. But then they followed it in such a legalistic aspect that. The, 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 they were doing the letter of the law, yeah. but the spirit well, wasn't there. Well, can anybody there. here live out the religion of the uh, uh, Beatitudes? You know, can can any of us, in, in our own power, <laughs> be be all of those things? Yeah, yeah. 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 we would be like, <clears throat> you know, but but we need Christ. Christ. And because of the Spirit of Christ, then now we have the power to do this. We can cleanse ourselves. Second Corinthians seven one was it say, cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in what? So um, the fear of God. That's what we we're talking about earlier, but. You know, people joined in this covenant and as they're joining together with the leaders and then the kinsmen as as they talk about there um, verse 29 joining with their kinsmen it's like there's they're holding each and each other's accountable in their walk with who God is and and uh, how they're to do that God made us to function as the very body of Christ right here on earth if you take an independent body and as it's cut off from the rest, it doesn't really make an effect, does it? It's a very uh, doesn't function well. Uh, but the, so the law, as referring to God's law given through Moses, they were affirming that they believed the spirit of the law behind it. Mm-hmm. Is really what what was there. They believed in full inspiration here and the authority of, of Moses and what he had for, for writing the Word of God. And they realized that they're obligated to obey it. And to do what they did, you had people, and you'll see later in Nehemiah on our, our last chapter, that they were separate. Husband and wives. If they were married to a pagan, they were to cut it off, just like that. They shouldn't have been married in that first place. Now, that's not saying that that is to happen today. Uh, we we have First Corinthians seven. It says, "What happens if a believer is married to an unbeliever?" Well, you know, it says, "Hey, that believer stays there." But if that unbeliever wants to leave, then it says, "Let him go." But um, but you are to remain in that in, in a situation that. You know, uh, God can God can bless that. He certainly does. But and at that at that point in that time, that's what God called for. That is drastic. And it's, it's as drastic as you know cutting off the hand or you know cutting off a foot and what have you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it took drastic measures to get these people back into a, a holy walk with with God. And of course, that kind of thing really runs counter to uh, the trends of our culture and where we live today, doesn't it? Uh, certain things, topics, 
that you could have uh, the roles of women and men in, in, in the family, for instance, just, just in the house of what their roles are to be. And boy, that can cause uh, drastic problems with people. Or uh, How about the doctrine of eternal punishment? You have a lot of people in the, in the church today calling themselves Christians and they don't believe that there's such a thing as hell. Or, or how about God's predestination of some to eternal life? It's, it's there in Scripture. The question is, does God's Word teach these things or not? So, and, and if and if, it, and if it's there, then we we have to submit to it, submit to it all. And boy, when they they did these kind of things as far as making that kind of separation, that was costly. Um, what about some of the other things that he says here in Nehemiah? We shall. We shall not buy from them on the Sabbath day. I know people that can't wait to get out of church to get to Walmart. Does that apply or not? Uh, that's what I'm saying. How things have so changed. Yeah. We used to have a blue law. That's right. There wasn't anything you could really buy. <laughs> and it was pretty easy. My Sunday dad was never Sunday. went to the field on, su- on Sunday. Yeah. Didn't make any difference what was the crops condition they were in. He would not go to the field on Sunday to work, and and well, that should be because uh, there's a there's a special day. We don't have the Sabbath like they had on as far as a Saturday and that kind of such. But it translates into the New Testament time period. We are we rest in Christ, but yet there's a special day that's set apart so that we would come together and worship God. Uh, that we fellowship together and people who like nurses who have to work on Sundays and stuff. I always wondered about that. Well, in Matthew, uh, the Pharisees were going to attack Jesus with that same question. Exactly. As he was going to heal that man who had that lame arm, and Jesus said, "Is it permissible to do evil or to do good on the Sabbath?" He said, "If a sheep were fall in a well." On the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to get it out? Mm-hmm. And then he also did the same thing whenever yeah. he was eating the grain, the wheat, the field. Yeah, and they're like, what are you doing? Yeah, you know? his disciples are eating. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, didn't you read what David did when his, his men were hungry? He went to the, the priest's temple and ate the holy bread, which was just for the priest. Um, so I think when it comes to the Sabbath, because uh, Jesus is Lord over the Sabbath, um, if you're going to do good, do good. Yeah, you know, don't not do good just because it's the Sabbath, because you'll be glorifying God either way. Um, but you know, I don't know when it comes to yeah. going to Walmart and you know, can't wait to get out and you know, party. You know, can't wait to go out and get wasted or you know, do whatever people do on the Sabbath. I usually try not to. Usually don't do much on the Sabbath. You know, I'm just church on Sunday. I try to spend time with each other. It's a great time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, if you're going to look at it ju- Judaistically, um, you know, Sunday is was just the new day that the church met on. And well, then you have uh, letting the land lay fallow for every seventh year. Of course, I, I think there were certain real principles about that that was wise just for the land itself. Uh, whenever God gave those, it we don't really have to have of course yeah, it would be not, yeah it would be nice for us to find a little bit yeah. Yeah. about those things and that's the point is that now those things are not, that's bizarre he was like what do you mean you would go to Walmart on, on Sunday yeah because it was the Lord's Day right. and they don't get what you mean but you know that other people are being affected by this that would like to be on church or like to be you know they, they would like that time off too to be well, it's such a, it's a such a special day, uh, Sunday is. It's whether it's called the Lord's Day, you know. I think you see in Revelation there, as John was sitting there, and uh, Sunday is not the Christian Sabbath, uh, but at the same time, there's a principle in the Old Testament Sabbath laws that we, you know, can apply. Uh, in in Christ Himself, He fulfilled the Sabbath. He gives us the rest. But for our bodies, for one thing. Right. But, that, but it's really setting aside for, for who God is and having that day of 
of worship. It's it's a day that's great whenever Christians get together and not only worship at church, but they they fellowship together, and um, so many different things to be be said for that. I think uh, part partly what uh, has been taught to us in the New Testament about uh, some things are profitable, but they're not expedient. Right. Kind of comes into play with things like that. You got to use your judgment and. Right decide these things as you go and like you know I mean if you forgot to get something and you got to go to somewhere to get it and you know that you need or whatever what's the big deal what's in your heart you know you know you may decide well you know I guess we don't need it that bad or whatever the gas tank's empty I got to go get gas you know no you can't do that you say it's a matter of conscience yeah Absolutely, and it's so an we substitute our own thoughts and ideas for God's word. Do what's right in our own heart. Forget what God says. No, I just acknowledge what God said. That some things but are. But you brought exceptions. A what? You made exceptions. I can do this because I need to. You made exceptions to God's word. It's only an affirmation of God's word because He just quoted scripture and saying. That uh, you know the profitable. And, what would you say, expedient? Expedient, or uh, where's that at? This is New Testament thought. Well, you know, it's like on Sunday after I get to the you know, we have fellowship, and then I go home, and somebody needs help moving something. Would I not go help them because they'll say, you know, it's a Sabbath, I'm not supposed to do work? Enough, some, you know, to be representation, a representation, Christ represents, you know, he was good, because that's what Christ did on the Sabbath. Kind of like healed. getting that donkey out of the... He healed on the Sabbath, um, the Pharisees tried to get him for that, no. and he, you know, he put a stop to it. Because, you know, when it comes to, like, I don't know, I really don't know what you could do on a Sabbath that well, you know, this is one of many, many areas to where God's good people differ. Right. Yeah. And I always think of this, if I can remember exactly how it goes, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Isn't this sort of one of those things that falls in that middle one? Yeah, you got a, a a Romans 14 there, is and that's where you you don't have anything black and black and white because all of a sudden you can get into a, a Jewish legalism and all of a sudden you can go to us go back to Saturday. Um, exactly what you said there. This is it's not a black and white issue. It's definitely really good to talk about. I I think we we should see as this Lord's Day as first of all and mainly. It's a day to worship God with God's people and then to be able to to be with God's people. But in Romans 14, it says, One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. Um, He who observes the day, observes it for the Lord. And he who eats, does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats... Of course, he's using that illustration... But there's the law of liberty that's put forth in Romans 14. I myself have my own kind of limitations like whenever I was looking for a job, and this doesn't apply to everybody, uh, but for me, there was no way that I was going to work on Sunday, which so many jobs demand people to work. Can I condemn somebody else? No, I can't. But I can say... You need to find a time where you can get with God's people then until God can work it out. You pray and you seek the Lord's wisdom on it. He'll make an opportunity for you to be able to worship somewhere down the road. Uh, You have to really, like you say, it's the law of liberty. It's the law of love there. We don't have the set rules that were set forth as if we want to get intricate, we can get into the ceremonial laws and such. Do we follow those? Well, of course not. We know that some of those things are fulfilled in the person of Christ. Uh, it talks about the Sabbaths, the new moons. You look in the book of Galatians, which frees us from that kind of binding of, of the law. 
um, there was a day though that it really it really was really good when they did have there was a blue law in this nation where you really didn't do any business on that day and it was set apart our nation is not like that anymore it's totally cultured uh, you know away from God but should I condemn somebody because they do something on that day I you know everybody's going to have their own drawing their the lines on that uh, that's not trying to um, read into to the word or make it fit what I feel best but I look at the New Testament I see Romans 14 passage I see the Galatian passage where it talks about Sabbaths and such which we're no longer bound to anymore um, but at the same time I don't want to delineate and go away from how important the Lord's Day is too uh, it's very important and uh, to keep it as as um, as holy as we can, where we, we you know, uh, on a day that you know it's for our bodies, it's good to have rest. But the way it's set up in our system, people might have days off on on other days. So just that particular day, it's that's. Uh, I think that's what you said there, Janice. That's probably where it rings true for uh, well, each I other. Well, I two of my heroes in the faith, Gerstner and R.C. And Gerstner believed in strictly adhering for himself, like what you said with your job, and not indulging himself in any pleasure, but devoting the whole day to staying before before God. Now, R.C. said he looks forward to Sunday afternoon watching football. (laughs) And to Gerstner, that'd be like a a no-no. There's two. Yeah, all of a sudden now you're drawing lines here. You can't, you know, can you watch TV on that day, you know? <laughs> so, now, and we can go either way. We can go with so much liberty over here, or we can be so restrictive and bring in a legalism, which Galatians totally condemns. And Colossians, you, t- you see all the days that dealing with Sabbaths, and I see it dealt with in a negative way, and even the way that Jesus taught it, because they had made it so legalistic. But it. The, the letter of the law was what they were trying to practice, but the spirit of the law was, as we were talking about earlier, was really not there. So, yeah, it's it, that is a that is a subject that uh, there's so many differences on this, and people of like mind faith can vary from this realm to this realm over here. Wasn't chariots of fire all about this? Yeah, mm-hmm. and he made a bold statement there, and I we we relished that. We really appreciate that. And that was at a time when Sunday was a special day in England, right. in America. Um, it's a shame that our country doesn't go with that. So, yeah, sometimes we could probably get all caught up in all the things of the world on that and forget about Well, see, God me and Honor watched that movie and we went, what was that all about? <laughs> we, didn't, we don't agree with that guy's conviction about it. We were like, that seemed a little... Uh, I don't know, pious for the sake of piety, like not for the sake. Not of at all. No, I didn't. Uh-uh. No, that's. The, I think that's a commendation. <laughs> that that was a that's a high commendation because that the the principles that they held and especially and even the world at, at that time had in the West. You know, you think of England yeah. or America. And they held Sunday a much in a much higher esteem than we do now. And I think we should. Uh, so, yeah. I think we've gone too far the other way. Yeah. Yeah. A day off yeah. where we don't have to work. It's not
and we honor him every single day of our lives as best we can. But a specific day to honor as much as give him much more devotion than normal. And um, you know, that may not happen on a Sunday. And it may not happen on a Tuesday. It may happen on a Wednesday or a Thursday, but when you honor the Lord, and somebody asks you, hey, what are you doing today? And nothing, I'm just honoring the Lord today because, you know, I haven't had have time last Sunday or Saturday, but today I'm devoting my time to the Lord. And I think there'll be more understanding of that, but I think society itself is definitely taking God out of it. And that's the major issue is that you don't know why Sunday is a day of rest, you know, or Saturday in the bigger scheme of things. Quite the debatable issue, and and it's been debatable in the church for a long time. I know a lot of the guys from all the way up through the 1800s always called Sunday the Sabbath, but it's not that Sabbath that we see that's in the Old Testament. Isn't that all to remind us, though, of our isn't that pointing towards our eternal Sabbath rest? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, definitely it's a great picture, isn't it? It's a real tie. That probably ought to get going here, but in, in Hebrews 4, I've always used this for the people who took the Sabbath as a legalistic thing. Uh, seventh day Adventist, Seventh day Baptist, uh, uh, many of your cults, Yahweh. That, the Yahweh congregation. Um, and, and it's talking there about entering into uh, the, the land. But then it's comparing to, like in verse 1, Therefore let us fear if while a promise remains of entering His rest, Christ's rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed we have had good news preached to us just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith and those who heard. For we who have believed enter that rest just as He has said. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, the ones who did not trust in him. But they do, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in the passage, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day. Today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as has been said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, here we go, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there, re- there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from him. And then he's begging them, be diligent to enter that rest. When you came into Christ, you entered into the Sabbath rest. So our Sabbath, like it says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy in the Ten Commandments? We are obedient to that in the sense that we're in Christ. We don't have that Sabbath as that was set forth in law as the Jews do. We have it as Christ who has fulfilled that. Matter of fact, all those commandments are done because of the fulfillment of Christ. But that's that's why well, it's in the Ten Commandments, and why don't we obey that? I think Hebrews answers that. And so there's our Sabbath. There's our rest. So that <laughs> wanted to get it out of the way, and there is what the letter of the law. Get it out of the way. That's not something that 